This is an RNZ podcast. It will be the most complete, comprehensive and well-researched blueprint to immediately address the significant issues within the government's lack of planning around managing the COVID response and reconnecting New Zealand with the world. That was the National Party's leader, Judith Collins, on Tuesday morning, telling reporters that, about 24 hours later, they'd get details of her party's COVID response plan and its plan for opening up our borders for travel by Christmas, which, as we'll hear, turned out to be the timetable of choice for opposition politicians, with an eye on what they think Kiwis wanted to hear. Previously, Judith Collins had mocked the government for making announcements about its announcements yet to come, and the media were not too thrilled either about being summoned for news that they'd end up covering the next day. Good morning, everyone. We're here today at the airport in Wellington because under our plan, Kiwis will be able to fly. But Judith Collins had a reason for wanting to get Wednesday into the diary of our news media, others announcing their COVID recovery plans to the media ahead of hers. A former National Party leader, Sir John Key, kicked it all off on Sunday with his own personal five-point plan, which was more like five bullet points on about a page and a half of A4. But his op-ed piece took up two bits of two pages in Stuff's Sunday Star Times last weekend, and it also took up two chunks of a double-page spread in the Herald on Sunday and appeared on the websites of both simultaneously at 5am. And thanks to the Herald's copy-sharing deal with the Otago Daily Times, it also appeared on its website as well the same day, after which News Hub, feeling a little left out perhaps, asked if it could run it online as well, and it did. And then, after the reckons, came the reckoning. John Key first ran through it all on ZB's Sunday session that morning, where he was largely unchallenged by host Francesca Rudkin. Thanks so much for your time. Look, what have you made of the government's response to our COVID situation this week? Has there been a change of approach? Look, I think what they're trying to do is just inject fear into people. I mean, I think they realise you can't keep borrowing a billion dollars a week um, to fund lockdowns and Trying to terrorise people and make them fearful is not going to work. John Key then appeared on One News at 6 that evening, and then the next day on RNZ's Morning Report, the Mike Hosking Breakfast and the AM Show on 3, each time amplifying his image of a Labour-led smug hermit kingdom and even the North Korea of the South Seas. Though The irony is that only in places like North Korea can a revered former leader command so many media mentions. And not for nothing did the Dominion Post columnist Dave Armstrong say his omnipresent op-ed should have been bylined Key John Sir. But Sir John's main points were looking to the future and not looking back at crushing the curve in 2020, a clearer plan to end restrictions and ramp up vaccines, and more carrots and sticks, he argued, to bring us more rhythm and vines in a dehermitised summer and beyond. But those were mostly points that John Key had made before and had been aired in the media already, leaving some of the media wondering quite why it was deemed front-page and home-page worthy stuff. Hayden Donnell took a look at that on Midweek Media Watch this week, talking to Brian Crump last Wednesday on RNZ National, and he also talked about other claims that John Key made which were fact-checked and rebutted pretty heavily by reporters. That's on our page of the RNZ website or in our podcast feed if you missed it. But Sir John's North Korea comparison was a new thing, and when interviewers asked him if this was overwrought or absurd even, John Key stuck to his guns. Look, ultimately, we can't just sit back forever saying we're the hermit kingdom. I mean, literally, us in North Korea are the people that can't travel. Well, there are, of course, many other countries and regions of countries where travel is still not possible other than North Korea. 
On interest.co.nz, political commentator Chris Trotter said that Sir John's intervention wasn't just unscientific, it was actually unstatesmanlike. This is not the sort of language one expects to hear from someone who's trying to help. Frankly, it's more akin to the sort of language one encounters on Facebook. And in the Herald on Tuesday, senior writer Simon Wilson agreed, saying that Sir John had adopted the language of wingnuts on social media and talkback callers. But... He's not stupid. He knows perfectly well that democratic institutions in New Zealand are robust, freedom of speech is vigorously exercised, and the economy has, so far, survived remarkably well in this COVID-ravaged world. Simon Wilson reckoned that Sir John's real target wasn't actually the government, but Judith Collins, and that was probably the reason that RNZ's Corin Dan asked Sir John this on Monday's Morning Report. Judith Collins, did you talk to her about this? Some suggesting that this has overshadowed her own announcement. Well, I wasn't aware of their announcement, but I did speak to her yesterday. And look, yeah, they do have an announcement coming did out. Did you speak to her before or after you made the op-ed, though? Oh, after I wasn't aware that they, they had an announcement coming out. Stuff's senior political reporter Henry Cook called all this a dramatic re-entry into the political spotlight, though it is of course the media that decide when to turn that spotlight on, and evidently most of them were only too happy to point the beam of light on him on Sunday and after that. And it also swung briefly onto another leader seeking exposure on Monday, New Zealand First Winston Peters, who popped up on NZME's rural show The Country to tell the host Jamie Mackay he was using Sir John's attention-grabbing exaggerations first. Now, there is some debate as to who came up with the phrase hermit kingdom. Imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. Is it his saying or yours? Uh, look, I hate to say this, but on Q&A a whole week ago, I used the phrase, and, and funny enough, some people called me and asked me, what do you mean by that? But anyways, uh, I saw John Key using that over the weekend, so I thought, well, at least somebody heard. Did you quote North Korea? No. But it might gall Winston Peters to know that his media nemesis, Mike Hosking, has long deployed the hermit kingdom zinger that Mr Peters now seems so proud of. As long ago as last year, Mike Hosking was bouncing that term off his show's regular contrarian contributor from the UK, Rod Little, who in turn described New Zealand as a hermit kingdom in right-wing magazine The Spectator. And so does the UK's Daily Telegraph economics writer Matthew Lynn, who's also the writer of spy thrillers called Death Force and a cheery book called The Long Depression, The Slump of 2008 to 2031. After a recent piece for The Telegraph predicting economic catastrophe for our hermit kingdom, which The Herald then republished here, The Herald's own business editor Liam Dan hit back in The Herald, saying that no international travel doesn't make New Zealand a hermit economy. These takes, ironically from allegedly right-wing commentators, overestimate the importance of moving people across borders and underestimate the importance of moving capital and doing business. Capital continues to flow, commerce is being done at record levels. At its most fundamental, we see this with our currency. It is floating and freely traded. In fact, it's one of the top ten most heavily traded currencies in the world. That's not something you could say about the North Korean currency unit, the won, by the way. While John Key's COVID plan wasn't heavy on detail, it did make a big media impact, as we've heard. And with Judith Collins made her announcement on Wednesday, the first question from reporters was about what Sir John was up to. What I think that uh, John Key was uh, expressing was the very deep frustration of a lot of people, particularly in Auckland, as to why the government has not released a cohesive and comprehensive plan for getting out of lockdown. 
The day after John Key's five-bullet-point plan hit the front page of the Herald on Sunday, a New Zealand Herald opinion poll revealed that two-thirds of people reckon we shouldn't reopen our borders until 90% of us are double vaccinated, and even 60% of those who said they supported National and ACT also favoured that as well. And as it happened, the day after that, the ACT Party put out its border plan to the media as well. And remarkably, just like Sir John's, it too was a short, sharp five points long, and also hinged on freedom to travel for Kiwis by Christmas, as well as freedom from government-orchestrated fear. Though Stuff's reporter Henry Cook noted that leader David Seymour chose to speak of an end to eradication, but not elimination, and ACT's plan actually allowed for much more tolerance of COVID-19 in the community. Sandwiching this in between Sir John's and Judith Collins' big reveals this week, though, certainly worked for ACT in terms of media coverage. RNZ's Checkpoint called it the Battle of the Border Blueprints. We've been working on this for around a month. Uh, There's only so many days in a week, uh, and we've put out a policy because we think it's our duty to hear from people and propose better ideas. But the workings are only to be found in a document called Life After Lockdown on the party's website, which has big pictures and is only eight pages long. RNZ's Katie Scotcher went on to report that National was keeping its policy under wraps on Tuesday, mostly. But MP Chris Bishop has signalled the party wants New Zealanders to be able to travel freely in and out of the country by Christmas. But they clearly wanted people to know that their policy was a big body of work, as TVNZ's political editor Jessica Much Mackay told One News viewers on Tuesday. I'm told it's a 60-page report. They gave us a bit of a taster on that today, though, saying that if you are overseas and if you're double-vaxxed, you should be able to come home for Christmas. So, three plans from opposition leaders passed and present in just four days, all saying that a Kiwi Christmas is doable. But National's one on Wednesday was the one with real substance, a plan to move on from elimination or eradication to vigorous suppression of the virus. And National's COVID spokesperson Chris Bishop spoke directly to Kiwis stranded overseas. We want you to be able to come back to New Zealand. National's travel plan allows that to happen. And to those who might be listening to the live stream, he held out this tantalising prospect. Grandparents who come back from overseas for a summer break to see the grandkids. The lawyer in London who comes home for a few weeks to escape the London winter and enjoy some beers at the beach with long-lost mates. And Kiwis who go the other way, who journey across the ditch to Oz, maybe to catch some cricket, maybe some music festivals. And while that sounded nice, it would obviously take much more than just a policy change to make that happen by Christmas. After the announcement, News Hub's Tova O'Brien put Chris Bishop on the spot. Do you have any modelling to back that up, 85% by Christmas? Uh, I mean, not, not in the sense of, um, you know, a, a, a models of the number per day. And later, RNZ's Lisa Owen pressed the point on RNZ's checkpoint. So what do you consider to be a low level? How many cases a day? Well, I, I think um, cases around the 50 mark uh, would be a, a low level. At that level, you can uh, cope with COVID um, in the community uh, and make sure that um, it's, it's dealt with through the system. And having established that we would be living with the virus under National's plan, Lisa Owen asked Chris Bishop this. So what increased hospital capacity exactly will you need if you implement this model? How many more ICU beds, how many more doctors, what exact resources will you need to counter the flow-on effects of this open border policy? 
but it's impossible to state that with any specificity. What we've done in the paper is... And that's your problem, the, isn't it? It is indeed one of the problems with the plan, and they ran out of time to explore it much further on Checkpoint that night, so Chris Bishop signed off like this. So it's a very comprehensive, well-thought-through plan that I think people, if they go and read it, can get behind. And anyone who does read the report will find that four pages of the 55-page effort does detail how hospitals might be prepped to cope with open borders and travel and the existing modelling they use to estimate the peaks they might have to cope with. But while political reporters quizzed National Party politicians hard about their plan on the day it came out, there's been little thorough analysis of it since by health correspondents or specialist commentators. And several pundits pointed out this week that there's also considerable overlap between the things that opposition parties have proposed and the so-called roadmap that's already been published last August by the group the government commissioned, which was led by epidemiologist Sir David Skegg. Political calls this week for freedom of travel by Christmas are plainly unrealistic, and likewise snap demands for things like dedicated MIQ estates. But it's also becoming clear this summer won't be like the last one, and likewise next year while life without lockdown but with COVID in the community are now being debated in earnest by the media, reporting political posturing on it just gets in the way.